wish you had a sock puppet. This is why people need to watch and not listen. I did not know this was a Quincy Jones song, I will tell you that. Come on. I didn't, I really didn't. I mean, I know the song, I just didn't know it was Quincy Jones. Walt's dancing is incredible. Welcome everybody to episode 83 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Rich Greenfield, Walt Pysik, and the donkey. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a jackass in every good podcast. I mean, I think I heard that somewhere. I don't know where, but... You know, like... Of our listeners. <laughs> is, oh! You know how Stern used to call Baba Booey? The horse tooth jackass. Yeah. We have the we have the gold tooth jackass <laughs> with us this week. Did you see Baba Booey in Greenwich a couple of times? Nice guy. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. Baba Booey. Did you notice how <laughs> my shirt matches the teeth of the donkey? Actually, I was not really highly focused on that. Uh, but it's, now that you mention it's, it, it's all in the details. So, Brandon, we, we spent an entire week on the West shirt. Coast. Well, no, no, no. But what? I, but, but, you know, it's funny. You just put your ring up and I was thinking of your wedding ring. And what surprised me, we spent an entire week on the West Coast and you didn't lose your wedding ring. So that was a good sign. I mean, oh, there's there's a reason for that, Rich. Do you want to know what it is? Yeah. I you had it like it welded the, onto your hands. No, I forgot it in the first place. <laughs> oh, God. Do not. I hope your wife is not listening to this podcast. No, she she knew because we went from new york to boston for thanksgiving then i flew to la from boston so she knew that i forgot my ring um in boston and she asked if that was on purpose and i said no i would wear it if i was looking for a mistress because there would be no strings attached (laughs) obviously oh brother we probably that's should edit joke. that out, but uh, you know, we, it's okay. We, we, we ha- I'm not editing. Actually, I'm not. I'm leaving that in. That's just there for posterity now. <laughs> but it was an exhilarating week. We did what 24 meetings in three and a half days. It was the most awesome. we've ever done in the shortest period of time. So yeah, it was. I mean, I think on Monday we started. We got picked up at something like 6:30 and returned at 10:30 p.m. Um, <laughs> meetings straight through. That. It was a long fucking day, but we got a lot accomplished. We learned a lot. We thought a lot, had a lot of fun. Actually, it was just great to see people. We haven't seen, we haven't done group meeting, a bus tour meetings in so long. And what was funny, like Sunday night, everyone was so nervous getting tested because everyone was like, what if I test positive? What do I do? I have to go positive. home. Yeah. Right. Like everyone it's, was sort of freaking out. Especially with the Omnicom variant floating around. Yes. I know you love the Omnicom variant uh, just for your media humor keeps jumping off the page. And Walt, but, Walt was in Vegas again this week with another two group. times in Vegas in a month. And we should be going back in another month at CES. For CES. Let's make it happen. Know, dude. Walt, I'm getting I'm, really nervous. I'm telling you, like everyone I talked to is like, there was, a, is there was a Twitter thread about um, whether people are going to CES and there was, you know, a lot of, uh, Going to see super, yes. super super spreader. AWS reinvent was packed, tons of people. Everyone was wearing masks, so it's you know it was well you know 
Meaning everyone was well wearing managed. masks. Everyone, everyone had a, yeah, and everyone had to show their uh, vaccination in order to get in. So it was well done. Well, you cannot stay away from Vegas. I'm concerned. Let's get to the big news of the week. Oh, Michigan topping Ohio State. Well, that was the big news of the weekend. But the big news of the week was a resignation. And no, it wasn't Bobby Kotick. Surprisingly, we woke up or we found out that Jack Dorsey's just leaving, um, not just leaving Twitter uh, from the CEO, or, you know, his sort of CEO position, but he's resigning from the board. Like he's just completely gone. Um, you know, this is Jack tweeting, not sure as anyone has heard, but I resigned from Twitter. And maybe the, the crazier part is that Parag Agrawal, who has been the CTO and actually, I think, a 10-year-plus Twitter employee, I've actually, Brendan, we've never met him. Like, I mean, we've seen him on like an yep. investor day, but we've never met this person. And we've we've met like every, everyone in management at Twitter. Over Correct. Like, I can't. I mean, we've met so many people over the years, whether it be CES or analyst days or whatnot, going back to the earliest days. And we don't know this person. So yeah, that's, that's just okay. but that's OK. It, he could be amazing. We just yep. have never met him. Um, the biggest question in my mind, I mean, first of all, this was abrupt. But I guess there's a little bit of Jack being jacked there in the unpredictability. And the other thing is it's really just why I, I mean, if you go back and you look at his profile um, there, he has the lightning bolt, which everyone knows stands for Bitcoin. Although when we use the lightning bolt, it's just for light shed, but whatever. Although um, the irony is it used to mean that the, the, the Twitter product, remember? They used to have moments was the lightning bolt. If you go back in time, you remember that? True. But he obviously is using it for, for Bitcoin. No, I know. I know. And then the next day or two days later, they changed the name of Square to Block. And uh, I don't know. I, is Jack just all in on Bitcoin and decentralization and that's it? He had yeah, the like, blue not- sky. He, they had the blue sky project, you know, going. I don't know if it ever really got underway. At Twitter, because it was announced like two years ago. Then there was another announcement this summer. What do you think's in Jack's mind, Rich? And I know that's a very tough place to navigate. Look, there's no doubt that Jack has been a great product help to Twitter. Actually, I don't think that's going to change. I still think he's going to give product advice to people. But I think what is interesting is, um, you know, Investors have been really upset for a long time about Jack being a part-time CEO because he's splitting jobs with, with Square. And maybe even more importantly, even with both companies, he's been really remote. Remember, it's just two years ago, this I think next week, that Jack was telling the world he was going to Africa for six months and basically disconnect. You know, he was going to work remotely from, and this is pre-pandemic work remote. Right. But Jack wanted to work from this Africa is like for the, six the months. Pre-popularization of Zoom, era. for sure. But remember, everyone was going bananas, like literally bananas, that Jack wasn't going to be in the office for half of 2020, and people were calling for him to be kicked out of the company and fired. And so, I'm not sure from a you know from an actual. Twitter stock standpoint, 
I'm not sure this is some type of major negative event or data point. I mean, the, the all hands negative event. Announced- if you were dude in the pre-market after the announcement, the stock was up like 12 percent. Yeah, but then finished it finished down. down. Yeah, it finished yeah. down two or three percent. But because they don't know, people don't know who the CTO is. And I think they're just, you know, I think there was sort of like, why this person? But the, the reality is having a full time CEO in the office who's actually there, who, from what I understand, led the reverse cron to an algorithm like someone has been very critical in a lot of the key decision making probably is not a bad thing for twitter but just to show you sort of the difference for the all hands meeting that happened at twitter headquarters we were told by an employee that jack was actually calling in remotely he wasn't even there in person he was like in some hut on an island calling into the you know to the all hands meeting so the point of the story being Jack hasn't been present and Twitter having a present CEO who's literally in the office all the time and accessible, or at least in where the majority of employees are, is probably a good thing for Twitter. Um, as you know, there's been obviously a lot of changes and a lot of a lot going on in, in the overall you know, kind of social media space. I don't think this is a bad thing. I mean, Twitter's been pushing product aggressively, iterating faster than ever before. I know people are nervous. I'm sure there's, you know, obviously change is obviously always scary. But I'm not sure this is a really bad thing for Twitter. I actually think in, in many ways, this could end up being a positive for Twitter. And I look forward to meeting this new guy that or the, not a new guy, but the old guy we've never met. We'll see. I think Jack's strength is in zero to one anyway. And like, as we got past one with Twitter, it's kind of been a, it's been a struggle. I guess, but I, I'm not, when the company was teetering four or five years ago, you know, when when everything was sort of everyone was leaving, well, it needed think, to stabilize the culture. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I think he was really important in kind of restoring the culture and restoring sort of innovation and getting product to start being pushed again. So and simplifying the company, right? Like just figuring out the direction they were going to take. But I don't disagree, Brandon. He, he you know, clearly like um, as, a, as a monetization, as a revenue driving CEO. I don't, that's just, you know, at least hasn't been his strength at Twitter. So wasn't he the one that decided to bounce Trump? And now that he's gone, will that decision be reversed? <laughs> that's what's on your mind. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, I think it, the, it, it I was think the decision. It, he did make the decision now. I mean, look, it, ultimately every decision goes up to the top. Uh, I don't know board versus Jack versus broader, but um, I'd be surprised if that decision was changed, just okay. given the culture of Twitter and the types of people that are there that were all part of that decision as well. But we'll see. But I doubt it. Um, let's give Walter a little. Um, he was right um, in talking about little, the FCC. A little credit. Yeah, a little credit for nailing this. But you want to talk about Title II and Rosenworcel and FCC, Walt? I don't know if it's officially nailed, but um, what Rich is referring to for our podcast listeners is a slide about Title II regulation. Specifically, um, when a commissioner applies or is nominated, um, they're asked to the list of questions from the minority and the minor- and the majority. And in min- minority questions, when they were asked about Title II regulations, um, commissioner and soon to be or acting chairperson and soon to be permanent. Um, said that basically not for rate regulation. What was even more interesting than that, however, Rich, was um, Gigi Sohn, who's also nominated for to be a commissioner, was asked about rate regulation and was quite clear in her testimony that she was not going to be um, for rate regulation. Basically, the way Wheeler 
uh, had it set up, which is, you know, it's, it's abated. So this had been, I think, kind of an overhanging concern because I think um, Sohn has been just basically attacked, you know, and everyone's, oh, she's a progressive communist, all this kind of typical political nonsense. Yeah, um, too far left, too far left, too disruptive, too big telecom, big cable, et cetera. So this this specific thing is not going to re- the reason she'll get confirmed or not confirmed, but it's just kind of but just check the box. We talked about this before. We thought, you know, and I said on this podcast that I don't I didn't think that the FCC as proposed would be um you know a, a for rate regulation. By the way, the other thing I said was I don't think that the FCC as proposed would be against a dish DTV merger as well. So we'll see what happens with that in the future. And I will reiterate my belief that that as much as Sony is getting attacked in kind of very nasty ways, which is sad, I still think she'll get confirmed. So we'll come back to that in a future podcast and see if I'm right or wrong. Um, you think time frame for that would probably be, I assume, first few months of 2022? I mean, it seems like there's some urgency to get this moving forward. <laughs> Finally. Um, I mean, yeah, finally, right. Nine some, months later. Right. Some urgency. Ur- urge, right. Urgency. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I don't think anything wasn't the Biden, guy sworn in like January 20th. It's the word urgency and Biden don't seem to kind of come together as a as a fair. common term. Can somebody wake him up? <laughs> he, he has a cold. He has a cold. <laughs> um, let's move on. Speaking of cable, uh, Comcast this week reached an agreement with the Walt Disney. No surprise here. Um, no one really expected Disney to go dark on Comcast and there to be a blackout like we've seen more and more of. Despite um, the uh, <laughs> the bad blood between those companies. Yeah, Although I think other. that, yeah, I think a lot of that was like sort of Brian versus Bob Iger. Um, and now Iger is fully disappeared from the company. But it was your surprise, Rich, that this Hulu issue is still outstanding. At that well, point, yeah, I mean, that like they tied into this. Like, I, I look a few months ago, we were sort of convinced that, like, if you were sitting in Comcast shoes and you want to exit, uh, and even if Disney, right, like you're you you want to get full control of Hulu rather than wait till 2024, why not just use the leverage of a of a retrans and programming negotiation and just you know wrap it in? If you want to get out, just get out of it and and tie it all together. And it just didn't happen. I mean, the ACC network got wrapped in. So, you know, Comcast <laughs> is now being jammed with the ACC network and everyone Some things in the never is change. <laughs> nope. uh, just yet one more network that everyone is paying for that I'm sure very, very few people wanted. So even as sort of the RSNs collapse, sort of the media companies jamming in more and more channels, that game just never seems to end. But the Hulu piece is still out there. So, you know, I mean, Comcast probably thinks Hulu's worth 70, 75, even maybe $80 billion. Disney probably thinks it's worth a fraction of that. Um, I just, again, Disney needs to have a clear strategy for direct to consumer. They have, you know, mature stuff on Hulu. They have kids stuff on Disney plus it's clearly not an optimal strategy to have multiple products that one of them, they don't own hundred percent of waiting till 2024, the value is only going up. So the liability to Disney is only going up. Like the whole thing is just strange, but the fact that it didn't get wrapped into this just makes you wonder, like, is this going to go on? I mean, could we really be still talking about Hulu, you know, this time next year, let alone two years from now? And it's like, I mean, there's, this doesn't have to get resolved for a couple of years. So it, it doesn't, but like to have this like partially owned asset where Disney can't, you know, create one unified company, 
it just seems bizarre, right? Like just bizarre that you would want to do this and have this sort of, you know, siloed strategy for content. I think that Comcast obviously knows they're in the power position and is probably trying to extract max, max dollars, max pain out of them. So, so if you run this, so if you're what running you Disney, do? <laughs> exactly. That was my question. If you're running Disney, would you just say, suck it up and pay it because your narrow content is not good enough? Correct. Like you want murderers in the building to be on there too. And you'd want FX content to be on there too. Like it just seems to sort of make sense that you would want all of this together. Um, I don't know. Like the whole thing is just strange, honestly. Um. But I look, this ties into, I mean, look, I'm going to, I'm going to sort of call an audible and just like, you know, pull up the next slide. But like, you know, we did hear this week, Disney board member, Susan Arnold's going to succeed Bob Iger as chairman upon his exit. Cause Iger's leaving now at the end of December. It's finally Holy. Bob's actually leaving um, after we've talked about this a long time. But the reason I think this is important relative to that, the prior conversation on Hulu is this will be the first, you know, January one is the first time that Bob Chapik has complete control. Like it's his company as of January yeah. one, he's been the CEO for, you know, whatever, 18 months now, no, 20, 22 months or something now, but whenever, been whenever the pandemic started. <laughs> yeah. So whatever, March 20, right. It was March, 2020. Right. So yeah. really when, when I think that happened, right. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> we haven't really seen what the Bob Chapik show looks like. You've had the general counsel was, it was Iger's general counsel. The head of comms was his, the best relations, like everything was sort of Iger's people. All of those people are leaving, including Bob himself. And so now this becomes the Bob Chapik show. So look, is it clear he, that all those people are leaving? Oh, well, yes. we know IR is leaving. No, right? uh, see, see, the general counsel resigned, head of comms resigned, like all of those people are leaving. Um, CFO looks like they're staying, at least for now. I think a year left on their contract, but um, it is unclear sort of what the I mean, look, is. Dude, but no, no offense to those people, but general counsel, IR and head of comms is not going to fucking change the dynamic of that company. Like these are not op- uh, these are not didn't we talk about people. Didn't okay, we talk studio, about the importance about- of IR last week? <laughs> yes, in terms of the valuation and recognizing the valuation of the company, but not writing yeah. it. I still stand by that. It is important. Alan Horn, Alan Horn, head of the studio, leaving, and now he was seventy okay. well, that's plus years old. Yeah, okay. But look, just a lot of turnover at the company. But look, the, what I wanted to just end with on this point is, you know, when Bob Iger took over, one of the first things he did was clean up the Pixar situation. He did it very, very swiftly, paid a huge price, but just cleaned it up. It just makes you think, like, could one of Chapik's- that was worth it. But it, looked, it was a big price at the time, and people were not sure. So mm-hmm. you just think, like, is, is Chapik going to come in now that he's fully in control, and this is truly the Chapik era 100%, does he come in and does he clean up Hulu over the next few months? Like, it's not impossible. Uh, there's no buzz about it, but it's just interesting to see whether- we could see a bold move. I mean, we obviously we've, we've talked about other things like spinning off ESPN and ABC. Look, we don't know who Bob Chapik is yet. The more we learn talk about more. the mechanics of spinning off ESPN, ABC, it seems very it seems difficult. Would yeah, would necessitate a lot of biz dev deals, a lot of contracts attached to that. But we'll but see. What's in? But what's interesting is at the same time that. We're talking about the no one wanting to or Disney not wanting to buy out Hulu because the price keeps going up and Comcast is flexing with their, you know, what price they want for it. At the exact same moment, they're putting out a Black Friday offer, 99 cents for Hulu. They're back to this offer from a couple of years ago, 99 cents for a, per month for a year for all subs over Black Friday, you know, over the basically the, the three days, I think, of Black Friday. And it's just like, 
more subs just raises the price even more. Like I'm just surprised that they're lowering price, jamming subs when they know they're going to have to buy these subs out at an even higher and higher price. Like it's just sort of weird to no, think about. Spotify, sort of Spotify used to do that 99 cent Black Friday promotion also. Yeah. So and I then mean, of course, it, look, hold on, I mean, hold on. Essential- what's, what's the what's the one on the left? It doesn't say one on the different. left is. So that's that's Hulu. So that's a Hulu oh, offer. Okay. Ninety nine cents for 12 months. Right. So you Discovery pay for the ad supported version. No, no, I, you don't, I don't need all the details. I just asked well, who that was. And because yep. the reason I was I was curious was because, as you know, wireless operators want you to upgrade to their rate plans for certain ones of these um, services. Yes. Disney being the big one, obviously. But Discovery Plus is one of the ones that Verizon thinks can drive people to higher buckets. So if you're offering yeah. it for 99 cents, there's not maybe not as economic to move over um, to move your rate plan. You just buy it that way. Well, look, the part I don't understand, Walt, it's an important one. Like you could bundling it in leads to better economics than we're showing on the screen here. Sure. And and I'm sort of just surprised. Well, you know, the media companies are under so much pressure to sow sub growth and they're struggling to add subs rather than invest in content. They're result they're resorting to cutting price. And it's just a it is not well, a great strategy. It's just it not may, it, look if you think that you're going to have the content later on, um and you get somebody subscribed. If we've looked at like these decay curves over time, the longer you're actually subscribed to something, the less likely you are to churn. And churn is the biggest determinant of LTV. So if you if you look at it, I'm not saying this is right or wrong, yeah. but it's just the strategy. If you look at it as being just CAC, right? X, however many nine extra dollars a month times 12 months is $84 of CAC. What's the LTV of the sub? And yep. then you're getting ad revenue against it anyway. And how much do they do per sub and ad revenue, Rich? $10. Okay. So now again, that's assuming the 10. usage is similar. I mean, if you're getting this for 99 cents, yeah. are you really I'm just, like, a- I'm just saying it's not that dumb of a strategy especially no, it's a, it's when a, you're it's getting an attempt just like just like sprint used to attempt to give away free service for a year and they got garbage customers that end up sprint you know because for, know, that's the other that's the other garbage thing. in garbage out that's the, right, that's yeah. the but, reality but, but to brandon's point it's the the reason the garbage left or never joined is because sprint never invested in their network in this case if they invest yep. in the content and, and they yes. buy themselves a year for these customers, they can keep them in. Or maybe they're buying themselves a year worth of time where Hulu will be wrapped into D plus and then that that solves itself. Right? Or what maybe. or what or whatever it is. Or whatever time. it is. Maybe they have like some, you know, they talked about Disney Plus, Hulu, everything kind of being a back half weighted year because there was content coming later on. I, I don't know. I I'm sure there's some science behind this. This is all parlor games, though, Brandon. At the end of the day, you have to invest in order to get that, t- that true growth. 100%. And let's see what's coming in the back half for these services. The back half of the fiscal year, obviously, which is yeah. calendar Q2 and 3. Uh, you know, we don't even know if Discovery Plus is going to exist in a year. So uh, we'll see. Uh, right. I mean, it may just be wrapped into HBO Max. By the way, be one, service. one of my big takeaways from this week was everyone loves Zaz in Hollywood. Well, 
Zaslav is everywhere in Hollywood, right? He has been very, very but omnipresent. In, like, in every kind of traditional media meeting we had, every single His person name came was up. like, I love David Zaslav. Yep. Maybe they love him because they, he mentions their name so much. So they like having their name mentioned all the time. Or because he's saying he's going to write some big ass checks. That's we'll what we say. should start doing. Just start mentioning people's names and then they'll like us. Is that how it works? I have no idea. Well, we just, just did. To, just go to the next I slide. I guess David likes us. So we've got the streamable. So we this like happened him. yesterday. So yesterday, like Sin- yesterday, um, Sinclair reached a deal uh, for direct-to-consumer rights for 12 NHL teams for the Bally Sports app. Um, and of course, you know, the immediate uh, thing is, is like, wow, is this, is this a big deal? Like, is Sinclair finally on their way to getting a true D2C sports strategy? And then you go, well, wait a second. Major League Baseball's Rob Manfred said there's no way they're doing anything with Sinclair. They've only got four baseball teams and they're not getting yeah. any more. Then you get basketball, which, you know, has certainly said they're not doing any form of long term deal with Sinclair because they're worried Sinclair won't exist in a year. And so you've got what, what you have right now is you have 12 NHL teams, four Major League Baseball teams, the, the rights for in market streaming of those teams over the top. We're not clear what the price point will be for that service, but probably twenty to thirty dollars. But more importantly, you don't have Comcast approval, Charter approval, Directv approval. You know, you just don't have any of that. And so, I think the first thing you said, though, you talked about what the com- the completeness of the games on each yes. RSN. You can't have just part of the RSN go over the top. You need everything to be complete. They need to do deals with all three leagues. Some markets. I don't know of any markets where they only have an NHL team. Maybe, maybe there are. Even if it existed, you can't launch this product in only one exactly, market. Right? Like exactly. You're either doing a national launch or you're not of this streaming product. One, but the weird thing about hockey, minimally too, one of the other leagues is going to have to cooperate. Sounds like um, Major League Baseball is like never going to cooperate with them. And the NBA is just waiting it out. So, but, but, but I want to just come back to what I think the most important point is ultimately you, you would like to see a service that didn't care whether you were in market or out of market, right? Like the idea would be, Hey, you can just watch, you know, NBA games, or you can just watch major league baseball games, major league baseball and NBA have those out of market rights. If you think about hockey, they already sold them. The out of market hockey rights, those are going to be on ESPN plus. Like it's not like a league pass, like it is on on um, the NBA or MLB at bat, like where they have a separate package that the league controls. This is hockey gave those rights up or sold those rights to ESPN. So the the hockey in market yeah, stuff was already sort of stranded, as it is in basically every sport, though, right? Oh, no, you're saying because ESPN Plus got is a separate like, company. What, what used to be the NHL. Yeah, no, I, yes, I that's the difference. I mean, you me. have to be careful in offering out of market rights and how you package it anyway, so as not to piss off sure. your the your partner for the national deal. But I understand what you're saying. Yeah, but what? But the, what, the, what, the other piece. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to add in. Does this also? I was going to ask Brandon and you all just sort of the question of like. We have baseball basically locking out, um, you know, you're starting baseball entering a lockout and it just sort of strikes me of, you know, we have a tweet here saying the two sides are very far apart, which is what's leading to the lockout. And I'm just wondering how the RSN issue might play into that, because I don't think I don't think it's a big part of it. Honestly, I don't think it's a big part of the lockout. 
So why is there a lockout now? What do you think's going on? Well, I mean, if you if you looked at you know Manfred's position and Tony Clark's position, um, there are several issues that are on the table, um, most of which have to do just with <laughs> compensation and that there isn't a hard salary cap there, but um, soft salary cap considerations, and that's pretty much you know the bulk of it. And then rule changes: are there is there a universal DH? Is there extra um, more playoff teams? I I didn't see anywhere in there anything about local sports rights. Um, obviously, it contributes to the economics of the business, which comes back to kind of you know player compensation. But I don't think it's a big issue in labor. Um, staying on sports, Brandon, your yeah. team came through. Yes, my brother went to. That's Michigan. the most excited I've seen Brandon get on this whole podcast. My brother did <laughs> go to Michigan, as um, most of you know, and uh, for the first time in a long time, lightning does strike, and Michigan actually won, and it's probably going to the college football playoff. But um, it also, and this is what the tweet says, was the highest-rated college football game ever on Fox. It, the Michigan-Ohio State game uh, drew 15.89 million viewers. And next to it, we have another tweet from Sports TV Ratings. Nielsen Nationals for Raiders-Cowboys Thanksgiving game was 37.844 million people. Um, and that is the most watched game in 30 years um, in the regular season. It's pretty incredible. We were talking about the demise um, of sports and, and viewership just a year ago. Um, and now, even with far less people subscribed to the bundle, you're getting record viewership on a couple, on a couple of games. Uh, to me, it just sort of shows the power of football versus everything else. Because, you know, if we segue to the next slide and you look at sort of regular season NBA, okay, it's up 8%. This is NBA games on TNT and ESPN. 8% over 2019. Yeah. I know. And, but like the, the, it's averaging a million and a half viewers. Like it's just, it's paltry, paltry, yeah. not paltry, paltry. If like LeBron. <laughs> If if LeBron plays Giannis, they'll get like two and change million viewers. Actually, puts like into context some of this like WWE stuff. We've been like really ripping on them about their ratings and stuff, but they actually do more than the NBA does during the regular season. Uh, and you know, I, I was curious what both of you think, sort of, of USFL because we're going to see in April the launch of spring football. And the question sort of, and we were talking about this on the trip earlier in the week, like, is it crazy to think that you can do two to three million viewers for spring football? Um, no, there's I mean, what, there's what, four games a week? Yeah, four games a week. And again, I'm just thinking about it relative to this million and a half of the NBA. Like, th yeah, there's not going to be a... No, they de I definitely think they can. You just don't get this, obviously, the same tonnage um, out of it, but... It's what in Q2 when there's not a lot of other sports on 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 Saturday afternoons and Friday nights. So it was what sure. Herschel Walker on the, the generals. 
Oh, Jim you're Kelly going back on the to gamblers. The ori- you're going back to yeah, the original. original US. I'm just trying to remember who I remember. It was Herschel yeah. Walker, Jim Kelly. Who else? Uh, who else mattered? The, those those were the I know Trump owned the generals. I remember that. Doug Flutie. I think. Yes, Doug Flutie um, on the generals, what, right? Was was on the generals. Um, there were a ton of actually awesome players. Um Steve Young. Had, what, what, what team was Steve Tampa Young on? Tampa Bay Bandits, or was it? Or the Maybe. Birmingham. I think he was Tampa Bay Bandits. I don't so are, know. are all eight of these original names? Were they yes. all the same names? They all uh are. wait. Birmingham, yes. Generals, gamblers, I remember. Yeah, the bandits are there. The I don't remember their just... I don't remember there being a New Orleans team. The New Orleans Breakers, yeah. the Philadelphia Stars. Yeah. I don't LA Express was Steve yeah. I, I re... Okay. So I guess there's yeah, no this LA fast, Express. This is a this fascinating time. discussion. Can we move on to the next slide? Yes, yeah. we can. We can. My it God. was just fun to have a little bit of history. Come on. Let's see if we can wake up our podcasters oh, after that stop, one. Stop. Our podcast stop. listeners. Listeners. Let's go. So look, we've been spending a lot of time oh, talking about like this how funny. Facebook. Well, no, because we've been thinking a lot about sort of how Facebook builds into the future. We talk about the metaverse and obviously with meta and what Mark laid out. Yeah. $10 billion a year of spending. And you know, you literally see this is the CMA Competition and Markets Authority over in, in Europe uh, mm-hmm. or in the okay. UK saying we've directed Facebook to sell Giphy after finding the takeover could reduce competition between social media platforms and increase Facebook's already significant market power. Now, I'll be honest, I have absolutely no idea how Giphy changes <laughs> Facebook's overall market what did they even pay for giphy like i, I don't even know. I, I literally like don't even know million dollars or no, a no, billion less dollars i think i know it was much less than that. i think it was a couple hundred million dollars it was okay. nothing but, well but then my point the is, bottom line is facebook or meta whatever the fuck you want to call it can never do an acquisition again but that's the bigger point is that like you can't, I mean, they are going to have to build the metaverse, which I hear is all of the talk. I mean, uh, one of our friends of our friends of the shed is down at, at Art Basel and basically said Art Basel is basically all about um, the metaverse. Well, it's it's not about, it's, no, it's not about the metaverse. It's basically, That's what it's all tech. NFTs, like, crypto, metaverse. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Web3. It, yes, it's all, it's all crypto, NFT, digital art. And by the way, it was 400 million. Mark is chiming in. A 400 million dollar acquisition is a dramatic change in the competitive market for Facebook. Oh, Instagram in the was UK. Instagram was a billion. So I think it's fair. That's that was also perceived as small. I don't think this is necessarily a Facebook only issue. Um, this week you had the FTC coming out against uh, Nvidia's acquisition of Arm from SoftBank. This yeah, follows that was in the U.S. Well, this fo- but this also follows um, antitrust concerns overseas as well. So I think it's a global, um, you know, it's a global kind of movement, so to speak. Um, you know, even in China, obviously, you see it at the most aggressive in the most aggressive ways. Um, DD being delisted. Um, so you know, it's M and A's is probably going to be tough in tech world, and it's not just maybe not just a Facebook issue, although they probably are most deserving of it. Yeah, no, and, and it's funny, we were talking to Snapchat and it's like, you think about sort of, they're probably the one company right now. They made, I think, 10 or 12 acquisitions over the last 12 or 18 months. They're sort of in a unique position by being smaller, having a strong balance sheet, and they can buy things without the regulatory threat that they're that these bigger companies, and they obviously they haven't been, because of the privacy side of Snapchat, 
no one has attacked them for misinformation or hate. Like none of that has got come Evan out. Has, Evan that. has not had a testify yet. Correct. Yet. 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 Uh, you know, that, that poem. And then they came for me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think the service is certainly designed differently, and he's been a very open critic of you know Facebook and others for a long time. So we'll see. But it, mm-hmm. it is just interesting positioning-wise that they can do things that others can't right now. Is the Amazon MGM deal going to get done? I mean, no there's, there's there's rumbling. Oh. No, there have been rumblings that that could, that could get blocked. Um, yeah. So there's another one. It's interesting that Microsoft has been able to be acquisitive despite their size scale um, and everything else is, is that are those days over and people talk about, Hey, could Activision be up for sale? And Microsoft is a potential buyer of pieces of, if not all of Activision, would that even be allowed that they got, they were able to do Bethesda who the hell knows. All good questions. Yeah, that's, it's, why, it's, yeah, that's why Lightshed looks for times. <laughs> and that's why Lightshed looks forward to getting back to DC in a post-COVID era. <laughs> be there for our clients. So sports betting, um, you know, actually, Walt, why don't you read this one? Because this one is so bizarre. You're our you're our expert on sports betting in terms Linden of Dow, for, that that would be Brandon. Brandon would be the expert on sports betting. I just no, no, I meant from actual are, betting. So Walt I is meant the, the actual better. He's yeah, the well among us. I mean, I just, I will admit I had another good and another good week at the craps table this week at, uh, in Vegas. So, <laughs> so, no so as I said, go back. someone who listens to the podcast dragged me to, to do some ponies, those little like plastic ponies that go in circles that did not go so well. So he's now subsequently sent me a YouTube, an hour long YouTube. that I'm going to watch prior to CES to figure out how to beat the ponies at, uh, the Cosmo. So, so, so let me ask you a you, question. Those hold of on, you, on. those are my, li- no, you hold on. Those of those, oh, those boy. of our listeners that are going to go to CES. If you would like to join me at the pony table first, then we'll do that. And then we'll head over to craps and we'll have a good, we'll have a good time. Okay. So what were you saying, Rich? When you bet or gamble, Mm -hmm. are you trying to make money? That's a good segue, Rich. Well done. So (laughs) legal sports report. um, I think I'm always looking for ways to make money, period. That is my entertainment. Like, I don't even understand that, that that does not compute. So what Rich is referring to is a tweet that I'm reading here. DraftKings CEO Jason Robbins told an investor summit Tuesday, quote, this is an entertainment activity. People, people who are doing this for profit are not the players we want. What else did he say about the emerging New York market? So I'd look, I think to your question, Rich. Yeah. I mean, when I'm sitting at the pony table with one of our listeners, that's entertainment. Um, it's not entertaining when you fucking lose money. I can tell you that much. It was very entertaining at the craps table when we were uh, when we were making money. Can you please go back to that screen? So I'm going oh, yeah. to read the follow on. Um, the follow on tweet was or was from Jay Yarrow, friend of the podcast and um, at CNBC. We want people to win, but we don't want professionals. DraftKings CEO on CNBC trying to clarify his earlier statement. And the theory here is like, hey, as long as we're minting money over idiots that are betting on prop bets or betting on ponies, you know. Or, or donkeys, the, or betting on the Jets, we're happy uh, with that. But if why you don't actually, people bet on donkeys, or betting on don, that would be great. Donkey races, yeah. Um, but if you're actually making money, which theoretically is what people are trying to do when they gamble, <laughs> then we don't want you. 
Now, look, in his defense, he's talking about pros, but like it comes off as like, yeah, we only want the fucking idiots that are going to bet the prop bets then rather than anyone that's going to actually learn how to bet and try and at least get the benefit of their odds. And by the way, you can't when you talk about pros getting kicked out of casinos other than pro pros, the the pros are like counting cards. You're not counting cars. Well, then. Thank you. Uh, you're not counting cards on DraftKings, <laughs> and that's why they're that's why they're kicking those people out, right? They're, so, how is he kicking the pros out of DraftKings if they're not have the ability to sit there and count cards? Explain that one to me. Anyhow, right. it's it doesn't make sense. It honestly Ranch doesn't is make complete. Sense. All right, go on. Next let's back. go a little ADA. But let's 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 shift gears to some AWS because uh, this was what you were spending a lot of time on this week out in Vegas. Um, this is from Adam Salipsky, who's the head of AWS um, for Amazon. When everything is connected, your connection is everything. AWS Private 5G gives customers all the goodness of cellular technology without the pain of long planning cycles, complex integrations, and high upfront costs. And this was basically the coming out party for AWS Telecom. And they, they announced a, a multiple of products. One was a box. It does CBRS. It has a certain application that's really good news for federated wireless, who's probably going to be powering that. But it's, you know, that's a segment in market. The other bigger thing is something that they've been closely developing with Dish. And Amazon is really putting a tremendous amount of resources in this. Dish is doing a lot of heavy lifting for them um, in terms of hiring tech people and, and getting the telecom component to it. And it's something that Amazon is going to take globally. And, and the end game here is the fact that an enterprise today, to deal with Ericsson or to go directly to, to the carrier to develop something, it takes a really long time to do it. And they want to create a virtual environment. They want to open the network so you can do stuff. Basically make it easier to innovate, faster. Right. Speed. So, And, and the, the best analogy I have on this, and it's not ideal, I'm sure I'll come up with other analogies, is if Uber wanted to it existed or tried to exist prior to the iOS app store or prior to the Android app store and had to go to Verizon and AT&T and ask for the API and ask for all the shit to like do, like how long would that have taken? Because now you have these app stars that this, the, they have the tools that are available to you. If a content creator <laughs> did not have the tools that Snapchat provided to them, like where would they be? When you open the network and you provide the tools then you have innovation. And yep. when people 100%. criticize this and say like, oh, give me the app, give me the app. Like, like, okay, what are the apps that you determined before AOL? I mean, it's your, your, the, the thing is you're, you're providing tools to a bunch of developers and enterprise. And it's not just for an enterprise to develop an application within their campus. An enterprise can develop an application that is nationwide and addresses consumers for something that you haven't even thought about right now. So that is what Amazon's doing. It was, they did a really shitty job at delivering the messaging. But if this works and they take it global, this is a massively yeah. disruptive impact to the telecom industry. Massive, massively disruptive and massively power enhancing for Amazon. 100%. But Amazon's looking at this and saying like, okay, the other yeah, thing is all this. Well, yeah, stuff, that, well, of course. <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. Yeah. Right. And, and like, look, in the US, Dish is the right person at the right time. Like for AT&T or Verizon to do this, like it would make no sense. Dish is like, we got nothing. Because they're unencumbered. 
unencumbered. They have nothing. They have yeah. they, all they have is spectrum. They have no customers. Like, of course they're going to do that. Like I will be the open guy. Cause like, it makes no sense for Verizon or AT&T or even T-Mobile to do that. I got it, it nothing. Just, it just so, sort of reminds me of like, I think back to the early days, Walt, remember, remember VCast and like how hard it was to innovate on these platforms because they were closed it was very hard to do anything. There was no sort of standards for development. And then you're right. Once you created like an app store with rules, I mean, we've seen it with Roku even. Like once you make it easy to make things, hate to people innovate. Ro- Roblox. Like yeah, what exactly. Is, what same, is Roblox? same exact it's, thing. It, it, you, it, you're enabling a, innovation. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's easy for people to say like, oh, it's Dish and like Verizon is so strong. And like, okay, you know what, dude? It's not Dish. It's Amazon, and Amazon has put in, uh, put a ton of resources into this. I was there. I met with the CTO of, of AWS Telecom. I saw the development. They're putting resources into it. This is a real thing. I'm not saying it's definitely going to happen. It's not happening overnight. But if you're providing an open uh, uh, open platform and the tools to build these things, like that is very compelling. And I'm not sure Microsoft Inc. is going to be far behind in doing something similar. Shifting gears to um, box office, because it was sort of interesting. Brandon was talking about um, college football and the NFL games. And we've obviously seen concerts and stadiums packed indoors, outdoors, like everything. Live entertainment is exploding. Sports is exploding. And the movie theaters are just getting killed. I mean, the Thanksgiving weekend was down 45 percent from 2019. 55% 55% from 2018. And essentially every day this week has been down 50% or so from 2019. So I think quarter to date, so Q4 to date is now down 36%. And I just look, certain films have worked okay. Venom's obviously gotten to like seven, eight hundred million dollars worldwide. Like it's a yeah. it's a good and, number for and Spider-Man Venom. will kick ass. Spider-Man's gonna have a great number, but will it have the number it would have had before? I doubt it. Uh, but it's certainly going to be a big number. And I think that's going to be the interesting thing is how big is are those numbers and what do they look like? I mean, it, it's just, you know, I think the thing that we're all, I think the industry, when we spent a week out in Hollywood, it, it's just pretty clear that everyone sort of recognizes this is systemic. Like, it, yes, there's certainly pandemic and young kids and older people that are still shying away, but it's bigger than that. There is something going on where the only movies you really want to see are going to be big movies in theaters, which, which has which has been the trend anyway. Sure, it's just accelerating, like the movie yeah, behind I me. Mean, what, People we told talked us we about see- in our top twenty-one for twenty-one. What did we say? Right, the secular trends that existed before the pandemic were going to be accelerated, yep. and so you were going to see live entertainment come back in full force. And maybe on a like-for-like basis over a time period, be up significantly over 2019, which is basically the expectation, at least in the U.S. and U.K. for 2022. Um, and on the flip side, for the secular headwinds to increase for movie th- for movie theaters, and people are not going to want to go back, and that's really just played out. And there needs to be a, ras- a screen rationalization um, for the theater industry. And the other point is the theaters need to become much more special relative yes. to the at-home experience. Um, and I don't know exactly how you do that right now, 
um, with with all the debt that AMC and um, and others have. So you need a complete restructuring of the industry. You need a bankruptcy to come out of bankruptcy like we saw in the early, what was it, 2000, 2001, 2002, not to date ourselves um, at, in looking at this industry and come out fresh. And but, you know, it's interesting. In our meetings, several people made this comment that Walt experienced. They basically said, when you go to a movie and there's no one else in the theater, like when it's literally empty, it yeah. leaves a very, very bad taste in your mouth. Like it, it hurts the long-term theater going experience when you're going to a theater and there's no one in it. And they said, that's really why you need a lot less screens overall is that you, you just shouldn't have, you need to con consolidate yeah, attendance it's, going it's forward. The, uh, it's, the, it's like negative network effects. Right? I, I don't, I mean, look, I don't think it's a negative experience. I just think it's not experiential because the whole point in that debate that I was having on Twitter is like the, creating the collective, which is what yeah. um, the, the guy who was yeah. the, the director that was talking about the collective, the guy that uh, did, um, Quentin Tarantino. 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 So Tarantino was on the collective. I'm just saying like you, you don't get a collective just like look at sporting events. I mean, Brandon, I think you might argue that the, some of the reason the ratings are better is because you have a hundred thousand Michigan fans screaming their fucking head off at a, actually Michigan's better this year. So that helps too. But like you, the well, fans, I mean, you had number two versus number five in, in right. the polls. So, okay. So that, maybe, that's other, a bad, maybe that's a bad, in, the, mo in the biggest rivalry in sports. So okay, that's so whatever help, Dal right? Dallas, Denver, or Dallas Raiders. Raiders aren't that good this year. Dallas is, I mean, you, it's but a, Dallas the, always does get good ratings. Not the best rating in 30 years. No, no, definitely. Okay. So the point is that fans back in it's people the energy, in dude. theaters it's, that it's is the creating the, yeah, that's what people are looking for in terms of experiences, right? This is why your concerts right. do so well, because you're kind of guaranteed. Like if you went to right. some of these concerts that live nation did, and there was 20% of the people there, they would probably suck relative to being packed and everyone, you know, well, not right. too packed. So when you go to a theater and they're empty, it hurts the experience. It does. It doesn't generate that experience you're talking about. All yep. about the energy of the collective. Yeah. Well, That's why CES about is going to have that energy and Lightshed needs to have a presence at CES someone to contribute made, to the energy. Someone made the point that even if you don't like completely restructure, each of these megaplexes should just close half their screens to force people in to the collective. So whoever, so right. there's only a few screens and times open. Less show times per day. Has just to go yeah, at the same I mean, time. They have to rebuild like, that. They have eight different times. Like I don't, I shouldn't have three thirty, four thirty. Like I, I can handle shifting my schedule an hour to watch a movie to have a better experience. Yeah. Yep. Um, speaking of things that are um, on the Rich, decline. what about, hold on, one more thought on that. Why not create a mega screen? Like we went through that era of time where they took the big screens in the city and they split them down to those things that are basically the yeah. size of your CapEx. Cap Let's X. go the other way. Let's make yeah. a massive screen. Everything IMAX. But that, yeah. if that's even bigger. By the way, IMAX is not that big. It's not as big as it, it was. It depends. There are different IMAX. There are different types of IMAX. Okay, uh, so IMAX and IMAX. Make it bigger. Someone come out with an even bigger screen with even louder speakers. Let's yeah, let's do this. They worked even so hard. Higher you know, alcoholic beer. Everyone was making that point this week. Is it saltier popcorn? Instead of forty thousand screens, maybe fifteen thousand, maybe even ten thousand. Like you just don't need this many screens, and you need really 
good ones. Rich, to your point. clearly the answer is not all of these. these are, clearly, though, the answer is not all of these ideas that you have. It's accepting the doge for payment to get in the theater. Yes. That yes, is I'm what's going to save yes. theater. So you're wrong. Okay, let's let's, let's go on. to declining things. What about Shiba Inu? That's, Shiba, declining. that's I think that's what Adam Aaron wanted to accept. Was Shiba? Wasn't that Shiba. wasn't that one shut down it or something? Doge. <laughs> the Doge. What declining about the asset Doge? classes, Brandon. Declining asset uh, classes. Let's go. Ah, so I think we're gonna stay on um stay on crypto. So yeah, that was a perfect segue, Walter. Yeah, there's there's two here, um, both from Darren Ravel. Um, I'll start with the one on the right, which has the average price of NBA top shot moment this year by month. And you could see it was $80 in January, peaked out at 182, I guess that is in February. Current average price, $19.63. So I mean, look, everything's basic- gotten crushed in November, though. So you look at October versus November. Is November like the Yeah, real- but October was even. $36. I know. I f- relative right? to January. Yeah, yeah. That's fair. Right. Yeah. And the interesting thing about November is it was the f- like first full month of the NBA season. Right. New season and didn't Good really point. have follow through. Right. So, and then you have this other slide here about the crypto punks. And the crypto punks have the worst month since they exploded onto the scene, the fewest sales. The fewest unique buyers in November than any month this year. Is it an indicator or is liquidity stifled by holders slash hodlers? And I think you have kind of like two opposite extremes here. Um, with one where you had, when we knew this was going to happen, I think Roham knew this was going to happen. There's really just too much supply and not, there was nothing individually special about most of the NBA top shots. Um, I There was obviously just a lot of hype, a lot of chasing there. It was good in that it was kind of in education on ramp to NFTs, although there was nothing about them besides just being a, a digital um, version of a collectible. There was nothing special attached to them. And then the other side, you look at the crypto punks and it's really just a very small community and what their community stands for is is more of a purist approach um and to web3 and really people who want to be leaders in web um in the web3 community and then on the other hand of this you look at the board apes i think what's the floor price is like 50 eth now and that's just become a club that is more than just a piece of art. They, they're putting on huge events. Again, there's merchandise and it's got the celebrity bug um, kind of attached to it now. So it's and are they it's able a, to are they able it's a like, club sorry. with broader appeal that means something and is exclusive. Are they able to sustain price? So meaning that if I have a BMW that's overpriced, which I don't. Um, and they and they will sustain that price up because they they list the price like they will not let a BMW go below a certain price. So now it's my status symbol how people view me. But the, so when these um, crypto or whatever the crypto or I'm sorry the um, board apes are coming out, 
it's fine. Like, Hey, this is awesome. I'm rich. Cause I, I spent a hundred grand on a, on a board ape. That's a status symbol. But like, what if the next one out only sells for 20, then doesn't it effectively what do you mean the next, everything? What do you mean? Well, I don't next? know. Like, well, that, is there, is like there a it's all, there's, there's a, there's a fixed, no, there's a fixed number of apes out no, there. No, I understand that. But it's, I'm saying if that fixed number yeah. ends up like they don't, BMW doesn't auction. Well, it's cars. trading on this. It's, I mean, it's, there's, it's just a secondary market. Now the primary market sales are over for the board apes. I understand so, that. So, so, but my point is that those secondary market sales, if they, if they're at a low price, it's basically going to, I, I don't know how you sustain this as a perceived high value. Oh, item. value per se. Right. So you're basically, basically you're Well, saying, that's what community is as about. They, it's as, about perceived as they, value. As, yeah. Right, right. As they start to trade down. Or if yeah. they do, then people are going to. Right. If I have my board part of the community, it's going to be tainted. Like a club, like remember the clubs, and you look at clubs in like Manhattan, like especially right. going back, like it was velvet rope at the beginning. Everyone right. wanted to go, everyone wanted to get in and spend a lot of money to be there. And then they lose their luster and everyone wants to go to the new club that opens up. Correct. And, and you're asking what the sustainability of the board ape community is. Right. And that really comes down to the community leaders, how they innovate, figure out what they stand for. Um, and whether what they, they stand can... for is having a board ape that, that is perceived as having a high value. Isn't that what they stand for? Well, sorry if you're in a board ape owner, but like, what else does it really stand for? You just you you, yeah. you bought one I mean, of the, the high price the punks the punks definitely stand for something. Okay, right? It's like kind of the OG. No, I, this is like the apes standing for something. Like, how do you define standing for something? Well, and, and what you when mean, you were, when you, you're talking on, about when, the AMC apes, we know what they stand for. It's which like is? Occupy Wall Street too. Okay, so when you were describing what you were describing before, it sounded a lot like Clubhouse handing out invites. It was cool to get in, and they let everyone in, and it sucked. And who makes the decision on what happens if you're letting all these well, you, different people in? You can't. I mean, there's only a fixed amount of slots, so. right? So, and when yeah, they get sold, that, who does it get they sold? Have to? Been. The, the fundamental question is: Do people move on to something else in six yes. months? Like, is this for, forgetting about? We like, yes, there's a finite know. number of these. We just does, don't know. Like, is it the board? Is it the board, you know, donkeys in six months that become the all the donkeys. rage? No, I'm just making I'm just making Yeehaw. a bullshit joke. But like, but no, that's, that's the question is like, it, there's sort of an infinite potential. Like we can create, you know, you mentioned this sort of the exclusivity of the club and the elements like, but we could create another one next month and get a whole bunch of other celebrities to do that one. Does that degrade this other one? Maybe. Like, it's Maybe just not, not clear of like. There, there's there, there's an there's a finite amount of when you're building there's an infinite number of potential copycats that could be just like it well and there, the ha same there have been tons and tons of copycats not you know they haven't caught on in terms of exclusivity i think what it's gonna with what this you know web3 world needs to what needs to happen these communities need to have ethos and stand for something and like the clubs need to mean something more when than you say that they haven't caught on doesn't that just kind of <laughs> underscore the issue like if other communities can't if there's only one group of people that's enough to support a community with that has this then well, like, no, no, no. not mean, catching that, on means like where are these other communities then i mean you're so you're either going to shift the limited number of people willing to do this or you got to find something else that's going to attract people in well, I think it I think those NFTs can be an organizing principle um for a community and they but they need to actually 
stand for something. There needs to, <laughs> to be, you know, some ties that bind um, the, the community together. Well, we look and, forward to seeing how that that uh, that uh, comes about. I, me too. I'm 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 all for that, Walt. I can't wait. Spe- maybe 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 those Macy's communities. Th- Yes. Maybe those uh, maybe the Macy Thanksgiving Day Parade is going to turn into a community. And what do they stand for? Balloons God. at twenty thousand. That's it. That was just a collectible. Chad Hurley. Um, uh, Chad Hurley, friend of the a longtime friend of the shed. Um, he was having a little fun. I think uh, I think it was late one night a few days ago, and he just tweets out, "I'm thinking about creating a DAO for stuff." Sort of just. <laughs> You know, it was hard not to laugh when I saw that in my Twitter feed, Brandon. Like, it's just like that is to me just like perfectly encapsulated. Oh, it seems like of, there's like Dow popping up for pretty much everything these days. Yeah, like everybody wants to have their thing. Not they don't even know what for, right? Like that's part of the problem. Well, the one Dow that had they knew what they wanted, which was the Constitution. They didn't get it, and then they cried. I listened to them on Spaces, and they were crying because this was a threat to democracy because the Dow couldn't win the Constitution, which is currently in the hands of one Ken Griffin. Did anyone actually listen to the Ken Griffin on Clubhouse? With, um, no, did you? Mark no, I've deleted that app. That app that, and just remind people that Clubhouse allegedly turned down a $4 billion acquisition offer. $4 um, billion. I, like I actually I, by Twitter. I did go in. I have I haven't listened yet to um, to that clubhouse. It is recorded and saved on the app. I just was curious how many people that were simultaneously listening. It was. Uh, I didn't know that they recorded. I didn't know that they were recorded now. Yeah. yeah. You don't see them being you don't see them being shared around on Twitter because the content is so great. Whatever happened to Shri Rob? Does he no longer do his things, Brandon? No, I think he still does. No, the he show. does. No, oh. he does. What are what are his listeners? The good like? the good time show. I haven't I haven't looked. That's actually something worth probably yeah, looking at. It's interesting at. to see what it's been versus what it was back in the the heyday. I mean, I'm sure it's down because there's just less people using the app. What are we listening to? It's the man and the donkey. I have no idea what this is. It's no idea. This is awful. Well, how is this? This awful? is Brandon's song. This is Brandon's no, this, way. This is we had the best Chuck Berry. Let everyone outro. listen. That's episode eighty-three. Everyone, have an awesome weekend. And we're told the movie you should watch this week on the Apple TV Plus. People were raving about this movie, Coda. Have a good weekend. Bye.